Maddie's believes nature is beautiful, majestic, serene. But human nature is inventive, intrepid, reckless. Nature says, look how many colors I can fit in a sunset. Human nature says, look how many hot wings I can fit in my mouth. But human nature needs nature. That's why there's Maddie's all-natural acid and indigestion relief. A drug-free remedy for human nature. Available at Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, and Amazon. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey guys, if you really like this episode, please support our podcast by going John, to John, John, John. Yes, I'm doing an intro here, Jim. I'm sorry to cut into your man time, but you don't forget to tell them about the show that's coming up. Oh yeah, the live show. Well, Nicole, can you tell us about that? It's going to be at the Unknown Brewing Company in Charlotte, North Carolina, November 15th from 7 to 10. Now, I would tell you about the Charleston show, but we've already sold that show out. So be sure if you guys are in the Charlotte area to get your tickets fast. People ask us all the time if once we've sold out, we can get them more. And the answer is no, we can't. So please get it now before they sell out. If you're a Taco Supremo, shoot us a message and we'll give you $15 off the ticket price. What's it mean to be a winner? Vince Lombardi, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, once said, second place is meaningless. Reese Bobby, father of the legendary NASCAR superstar Ricky Bobby, once said, if you're not first, you're last. But is all this pressure to be number one really such a good thing? In most cases, it just makes us stronger. But as you'll see in this episode, for a guy like Randy Woodfield, not being number one became the ultimate catalyst that spawned a terrifying killing spree. Hello and welcome back to this episode of Talk Murder to Me. John, you gave us uh, quite a fun hint this evening once again, where you said it would be a dream come true to play for the Green Bay Packers if I could just stop exposing myself and keep my thing in my pants. Well, that's quite a descriptive hint, John. Well, by thing, I meant penis. Yes, I assume so. Because you talked about exposing. Yeah, the the genitals. Yes. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Just the shaft, not no, the tip? Well, uh, yeah, I guess. The whole thing. I don't know. I've never exposed myself. The whole myself. kit and caboodle. <laughs> I guess you would. No. Everything in which the penis snatching geisha would have taken with her in her pocket. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jen, tell us about our drink this evening. It's called the Green and Gold, uh, based off the Green Bay Packers part of that hint. Um, Whoa, that is strong. This is tequila. There's some tequila oh, in it. Some, what, what but actually, I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, Jesus, Lord. It is strong, but good. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, so there are uh, three ingredients to this. It's orange, pineapple juice. Uh, once again, I've had to doctor it up, but it, all the ingredients were either green or gold. 
those weren't the instructions. That's that's just how it was. Um, so originally it called for Midori, either whiskey or tequila. No, vodka or tequila and orange it said juice. Be- it said better with tequila. It said it was better with tequila. I mean, that's my motto anyway. Everything's better with tequila. <laughs> yeah, at my graduation party, I made these margaritas similar to the ones I made here. Mm-hmm. Um, except I put a little bit more tequila in it. <laughs> And um, apparently they were pretty strong. So, anyway, this calls for tequila, orange juice, and Midori, but we didn't have any Midori. We ran out and we couldn't get any because today's Sunday. Yeah, that sucks. Um, and so I used the apple schnapps from my party as well, which I put into a spray bottle and was spraying into people's mouths. Nice. Yeah. That's a great little party trick. Speaking of spraying something into people's mouths, hang on. There is a, it wasn't going anywhere sexual with that. Is this gin? We have to apologize, John, because apparently pouring sake and squirting sake into people's mouths is a thing. It is. It's just not a thing that you and I have experienced. Yes. It happened when we all went to Hibachi that time with that. No, no, it did not. not. Yes. Maybe. Well, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure it did, but maybe it did it because they were like arguing. They did not. 100%. They didn't. No one squirted sake into your mouth. That was a miserable, not like evening amongst the three of us, but it was like not a fun Hibachi experience. Well, then we need to go soon and make up for it. We should go to a, like, I mean, not that that place wasn't good, but we should go to, like, a good hibachi place because I bet you they would do that. Who sent okay. you that message? Emily. Minus Foxy says, I thought it was standard. She goes, I've also had sake sprayed into my mouth while at hibachi. What? I thought it was standard practice. Every experience at a hibachi <laughs> restaurant has resulted in sake being sprayed in oh and around God. my mouth. I'm surprised being from Mass, you haven't crossed paths with this yet. Maine apparently is where the unicorn is at. And I just said... Maybe it's just a southern thing. Like, I haven't lived in Massachusetts since I was 18, so. Yeah, you ain't going to see us southern people getting squawky, squawky. (laughs) Getting uh, sake squirted in her mouth. (laughs) But I think we would need to go to, like, uh, a nice No, there's no way or nowhere in South Carolina did they... They squirt sake we're, into your mouth. John, we're, if we go to a hibachi a and it does not happen the next time we go, I will it pay for your It has meal. never happened. Sold! That's a good bet. Jesus. Not yours, just his. That's a good bet. And I can order a lot of food, Jen. That's fine. Uh, we'll just decline my card and you'll end up having to pay for it. <laughs> uh, Jen, we're going to need you to wash dishes out back. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, if the next time we go to hibachi, they don't do that, I will pay for your meal. Oh, by the way, the booze bucket is back open. We need to get this. So we need to. That means we up. need to go purchase some things. Well, every week, if you want to sponsor or drink for that week, uh, be sure to like the Facebook page, and Nicole's going to post the booze bucket details on there. And you can give us. You can include a message. It can be whatever. You can tell your ex boyfriend how oh, little yeah. how little he satisfied you. Oh, yeah. It includes a message. I forgot. Yeah. So I the booze that. bucket's open with donation for our drinks, and then we'll 
Include your message. Speaking of announcements, we've just announced our first live, or not our first. <laughs> it's not our first anymore. No? Our live show in Charlotte, North Carolina. I know that there's some Taco Supremos who are up that way. So if you are a Taco Supremo in Charlotte, we will give you a $15 off coupon code if you just shoot us the message because we want to make sure it only goes to our Taco Supremos. But we want to see all of you guys there. More capacity. It's going to be a lot of fun at the Unknown Brewing Company in Charlotte, North Carolina, on November 15th. And that's actually the name of the brewery is unknown. It's not like we don't know where we're doing it. Mm -hmm. All right, so the hint tonight was, what was the hint? Can you read it again? It would be a dream come true to play for the Green Bay Packers if I could just stop exposing myself and keep my thing in my pants. All right. Um, Nicole. Where are we going and who are we killing? I believe we are going to Wisconsin tonight. And we are dealing with a flasher turned killer. Flasher? Yeah. Jen, where are we going? Who are we killing? I'm also saying Wisconsin. I'm going to give a specific guess, and I think it's Jeffrey Dahmer. Every episode you think it's Jeffrey Dahmer. No. It's either Jeffrey Dahmer or Columbine. No, that's the first time. Oh, wait, that was Nicole that's the first that time I guessed that. Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> I did guess Jeffrey Dahmer once. Oh yes. man, you guys are gonna be so no. Pissed. I guessed Gacy before a couple yeah. times. Surprise shots! Surprise shots! We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. Oh Jesus, that's that's uh, to keep, no, that's that's whiskey. Whiskey. Do more do. It's Irish whiskey. Oh, I Come hate whiskey. I love it. All right, so tonight, you guys both said Wisconsin. That's obviously where the Green Bay Packers play, right? Yes. I know nothing about the Green Bay Packers. Dan Elway? No. Nope. Brett Favre. <laughs> Brett Favre. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. All right, and tonight we are going to Salem, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> What the heck, man? <laughs> I told you. Damn it. Told you, told you, told you. That was so a the hints trick. Are, su- are not supposed to be hints. They no, these hints are very good. If you are even a mediocre true crime addict, you would know this story. So Even if, mediocre. Okay. If you are a fan of Anne Rule, the best crime writer on the well, she's dead How now. How many but, books does she have? Like a hundred? I don't know, I think thirty four. Wow. Because I'm trying to get them all. But this is one Gotta of her. Catch them all. This is one of her stories that she wrote about. So, if you know your true crime, you definitely know this story by the hints, exhibition, exhibitionism, and Green Bay Packers. There's only one killer that fits those two slots. We're going to January eighteenth, nineteen eighty one, at nine fifty four p.m. A call comes in to the Salem Fire and Ambulance Dispatch, nine one one. The caller, frantic female, please help us. We've been shot. Her name is Beth Wilmot. Now, she's the one that is on the phone talking to the operators. She says, "Quote, please hurry." He's going to come back and kill me. And she said, we've been shot. She actually was shot twice in the head. Whoa. Yeah. So 
Damn, that's lucky. Yeah, very. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. The other girl that was with her, Sherry Hole. So you got Beth Wilmot, Sherry Hole. They're best friends. They were at the, this happened at the Trans America building. So think of like a little corporate office that's kind of down the back roads. It's kind of away from the highway a little bit. So at night, I said this call came in at 9.54 p.m. Mm -hmm. There's no one there. You know, right? Works Every, everyone's closed. gone home. Everyone's gone home. So closing time. Yeah. So these two girls, Sherry Hole and Sherry H S H A R I, is still Sherry, but I never seen it spelled that way. Sherry Hole and her friend and coworker Beth Wilmot, they were there cleaning the building up because that's what they do. They go to all these buildings. In fact, they weren't even supposed to be there that night. They, they never stay out that late, but they wanted to get this building done. And it's way down like the secluded road, this corporate little area. No one's there. Nothing but office buildings. Transamerica. On the phone, the operator could barely hear the other girl breathing very heavily. She was actually shot three times. And she's laying on the floor. Beth, her best friend, is screaming at her. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And she's breathing like, ugh, you know, like really slow, heavy breathing where it, basically someone's dying, breathing really slow and heavily. Now, this is the 911 dispatch. If you guys can help me read this. Ma'am, what is your name? Beth Wilmot. I've been shot in the head. Hurry. We have an ambulance on the way. Who shot you? Some man... I don't, I don't know, with a gun? Okay, we have someone on the way. Can you tell me what he looked like at all? Ah, uh, oh my god. Uh, he had dark brown hair. And he had, he, he had a band-aid on his nose. Okay, was he a white man? Yes. About how old would you say he is? Oh, I, I don't know, around 27. Okay, and how tall? Oh, I, uh, uh, five, uh, uh, six, I don't know, some, something like that. Five, five, nine, a, a little over the average size of. Do you remember what he was wearing? Leather coat or something, a, a leather coat and a, a, a pair of cheap jeans. Oh, my head. Hurry. It, it hurts. I hear the ambulance. Just a minute more, ma'am. Poor Sherry. She's going to die. Let me tell you what detectives found once they arrived at the scene. The police, EMTs, five shots in all from a thirty-two caliber pistol. So a thirty-two caliber is pretty unique. There's not as many as, let's say, a 9 mil. So that is kind of one lead that they could go on, the detectives, right off the bat. Inside the Transamerica building, this actually happened in the lunchroom, break room area. Now, the reason that's important, that's the only spot in the whole building that you can't actually see from the road. Okay, so whoever did this, they knew what they were doing to a point where they brought both Sherry Hole and Beth Wilmot into this room. Clothes scattered everywhere. Now, Beth, the only one to survive this night, was shot twice in the head. She lived because she has a hard head, literally. Her skull, Wow. She, sh she got shot right in the skull, 
And instead of penetrating her brain, like the bullets did with Cherry Hole, the bullets flattened out on her skull. Damn, she's got a really hard head. Exactly. Did she have a plate in her head? No plates. She's just fucking has good yeah. genes. The, Strong bones. The EMTs and the detectives called her lucky. She has a guardian angel. If you want to say that. Divine intervention. A doctor may say she has abnormally thick bone in her skull. Because, I mean, this point blank range. It's not like I shoot you from over the table. I mean, this, me shooting Jen right now is too far away. I mean, we're looking at four feet. She, they both had the residue from the bullets in their head. You know, when you shoot someone close range, you get all that afterburn. So the gun was within probably inches. two feet. No, Whoa. within inches of both of the girls' heads. That's what I'm saying. It is beyond a miracle that she lived. That's impressive. Clothes all over the room of the lunchroom. She was so much in shock when she called the paramedics, when she dialed 911, because she was shot twice, saying that the killer's going to come back and kill her. She was naked, and she had no idea. She did go into the bathroom, because it's like surreal to her. After the killer left, he thought they were both dead. She went into the bathroom to look at her face. Instant bruising. You can't recognize her anymore. I mean, now you can, but like once she was shot, her whole face purples up. She can't see. She remembers looking into the bathroom mirror, blood everywhere, all in her head. Her eyes swollen up, you know, purple. It was awful. She was in such shock that she didn't even realize that she was completely naked. Okay. Now, the reason that she survived and not Sherry Hole, from what she says, is she wanted to tell Sherry Hole, her best friend, to be quiet during this incident because she was, you know, she was freaking out, which anyone would do. You know, she was crying, screaming, you know, being really fanatical, which is, you know, that's normal. But Beth could tell that was really pissing the killer off. So when he rung out those five shots, he did one and Sherry, one and Beth, one and Sherry, one and Beth, and then the last one back in Sherry. Did he unload his gun? He only had five bullets, or no? He just shot five times. Okay, he's a six shooter. So maybe he only had five bullets in there. I don't know. The paramedics arrive, clothing everywhere, two pools of blood. Now, let me tell you what actually happened. Because it took Beth Wilmot. Now, she's the survivor of this story. We're talking about a serial killer tonight that had many victims. And there was only one survivor, and that's her. Wow. So she brings this guy to justice. Because she she identified him? She's the only one that can identify him. Wow. Now, let me tell you what actually happened. A man comes in. It's 10 o'clock at night. He just walks to the front door. Now, keep in mind, there's no one out there. This is a corporate, down a corporate driveway in a bu- office building. No one's there. One of the girls, Sherry, goes out back to empty the trash. And Beth goes into, she goes into the storage closet to grab a bottle of, like, Windex or something. Because they, they're such they're so dedicated to making sure these office buildings are spick and span. 
that they noticed that the front door was still dirty. There's fingerprints on the front door. So if the front door wasn't dirty, they would have already been gone. Mm. But they wanted to make sure everything was perfect. And in fact, Sherry, the one that died, she drove them that night. Her Ford Bronco was outside because this is January Mm -hmm. in Oregon. It's cold as shit. Her Bronco was idling up, warming up. And they were literally out the door. Now, were they... Just cleaning people? They worked for Transamerica? No, they were just janitors. Transamerica was part of their route. So mm-hmm. they, they cleaned a lot of buildings at night. Yep. You know, this was just one more that they were... There was like cleaning crew. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, so it makes sense that they wouldn't want to leave fingerprints on the doors. Yeah, exactly. Here's what happened. A man came in. A tall man, big, not fat, big, muscular. He's wearing a dark jacket with a hood now keep this in mind because this how i describe him right now is how everyone else in the story is going to describe him and you can tell it ain't going to be easy to identify this man tall big like broad shoulders muscular dark jacket with a hood pulled down so you can't see his forehead or anything now one defining thing that he did was there's a bandage over his nose like a sports bandage okay like what they would wear in football Mm -hmm. okay yeah and i would talk about that but that is everyone that has encountered this guy they noticed the big band-aid over his nose he's a white guy he wears it all the time well he wears it to rob people Hmm. and kill them I wonder if it's covering a distinct scar or something like that. He comes in. Mm-hmm. He comes in, holds the gun. He has this little silver gun, thirty-two caliber. Holds the gun up to Sherry, and then Beth is, is still coming out with a cleaning bottle, and she's like, oh, shit. You know, what, what do you want? I, we don't have any money. He tells them, he's got kind of a deep voice to go into the, you know, he directs them into the lunchroom. He makes them get down on their knees. He unzips his jeans. He makes the girl strip. He says, quote, suck on me. Come on, make me come. Okay, you can see where we're going with this. <sighs> he Sadly. looks over to Beth. Now he's got the gun pointed right at their heads. Quote, you suck on my balls. Make me come. Ew. Both of you suck on me. How old are these ladies, by the way? 20, 21, okay. 22. He tells Sherry to play with herself and... He tells Beth to suck on her breast. All right. On now, her own breast or Sherry's on breast? On Sherry's breast. Okay. Then he makes Beth stand up. He spreads her legs open and he tries to have sex with her. But his penis would not go inside of her. And he says, quote, shit, you got a real tight cunt. This goes on for 20 minutes. And where he's trying to put it in her? No, this whole ordeal so where just he's like in general, he's yeah, he's making him do things, making him fillet him and stuff like that. About twenty minutes of pure horror. Now, this is from the book. I'm gonna read this. I, I'm a, I'm saving you guys from reading this. All right. Thank you. Quote: Eat me, he commanded, standing triumphantly over the kneeling naked girls. Which one of you wants to eat me? Ugh, that's just a gross way of saying it. Now, this is what Beth says, quote, he made Sherry go first and then me and then both of us at the same time. He came finally 
We thought he was done with us. He told us to lie down on the ground, face down on the floor. He was asking us for rope. He said, I need some rope. Do you guys have any rope? Do you know where any rope is? We both said no. And then Sherry said, don't hurt us. Please don't hurt us. We won't tell anyone. Just let us go. Sherry was begging. And I was saying, please, please don't hurt us. We won't tell anyone. I don't know if he was going to actually kill him or not if he didn't find rope. But he didn't tie him up, so he shot them in the back of the head. Mm. And he killed Sherry, and by the grace of whatever deity you believe in, Beth lived to tell the story. Wow. Her life completely ruined, but she lived. Damn lucky. Yeah, and not only that, another insult to injury, if you will. Two weeks later, when Beth was recovering in the hospital... She found out that the killer not only killed her best friend, tried to kill her as well, but also gave her herpes. (gasps) Yeah. 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 Which is herpes you can never get rid of. Genital herpes. Or any herpes. Any herpes. Yeah. You can never get get rid of herpes. It's always there. I mean, you could treat it, I guess. This is what I looked up. But it's treatable, but it's always there. What do you guys think about this? Well, it's pretty fucking terrible. Does this is this what this guy just does in general? You said it's he's a serial killer. Yeah. Does he do this exact thing? Well, we're actually going to get into the killer right now because it's um you really got to understand his psychology, which is fucking crazy. Tonight we're going to be reading a little bit from an Anne Rule book, The I Five Killer. Oh. So the I five is a interstate highway system. In California. Like, yeah, it goes Oregon. to California, it goes to through Oregon. So all the murders and all the robberies, because he, he actually did a lot of robberies without murdering. I mean a lot. Were, similar to the Golden State Killer. Yeah. Were right off the I five. So he got the moniker the I five first he was a robber. He would rob these little service stations, Baskin Robbins, you know, little fast food joints, stuff like that. So we got the name, the I-5 Bandit, and then when he started murdering and doing some more really gruesome stuff, he got the moniker, the I-5 Killer. So this is an Anne Rule book, freaking phenomenal. Anne Rule never writes a bad book. So anyway, have you guys ever heard of this guy? His name is Randall Brent Woodfield. Everyone called him Randy. He was born December 26, 1950. Loving upper-middle-class home with loving parents. Grew up in Oregon and the Corvallis area and the Newport area. Now, here's the thing about Randy Woodfield. Very, very, very attractive guy, okay, which huh. is really confuses everyone that he robs and makes do things to because he's He doesn't ta- need that. He's literally tall, dark, and handsome. And he's built like an Adonis. Here, tell me what you think of that guy. I mean, aside from the facial hair. He's over six feet. Well, that I mean, the porn stash was like during that time period. Not my type. He kind of reminds me of Ted Mosby in this one with the mustache, though. Yeah, he does. I can see that. Okay, he's built like an Adonis, seriously, muscular as hell. Now, everyone that he comes encounter with robs at, gu- at knife point and sexually assaults. A lot of them say, this is the type of guy I would date, you know. I don't know why Scary he did this thought, to me. Yeah. yeah, so 
Now, you asked about the uh, tape on his nose. The reason he wears tape on his nose is because once he was in prison once, one of the uh, inmates that he befriended told him that is the best way to avoid being uh, recognized, like in a lineup and stuff like that. If you wear tape over your nose, it really hides your features. All right. That's Hmm. why he does the tape over his nose. Interesting. All right. Randy grew up in Oregon. An all-American boy, I tried to look through his past and see if there's anything. There's nothing. I mean, loving family. He grew up with two sisters, even though he was, quote, tortured by his sisters because they were older. They were, like, dressing up. Yeah, it was, like, sisterly, you know, yeah, normal shit. So, which is interesting because we've talked even recently about how so many of the killers that we've done come from really hard upbringings, but this is a rarity where we have a quote unquote like normal, happy family. Yeah. And not only that, he was exceptional in sports. When it came to football, especially, he was the star. When he went to Newport High School, the whole town knew Randy Woodfield. Not only knew him, they were depending on him to make their little-ass town known. Because he was a great football player. Hmm. Very athletic. Anything you want to do, baseball, basketball, anything. If If it has an athletic appeal, he would excel at it. But somewhere along the way, no one can explain why, because it's really not in his background other than his two sisters torturing him every once in a while, he developed a negative... No, he developed a skewed perception of women. I'll say. Even though he's a really good-looking guy. And you'll see when when they got his uh, black book, I think there was like 225 names of women he was sleeping with. What? Yes, and he had Gross. five, six girlfriends at a time that he would juggle, and they wouldn't know about each other. But, I mean, he, he had no problem with women. Very good-looking man. Very in shape, just an all-American boy. But somewhere along the way, he developed this really skewed perception of women. Listeners out there, if you have some more information about why he developed this, maybe some psychology thing or whatever, be sure to comment on the blog post about it, because I'd definitely like to know. But here, can you read this? For the rest of his life, Randy Woodfield would misperceive women, overvaluing them and denigrating himself. In the end, his self-esteem would become totally dependent on how women viewed him. The only red flags, and this is a pretty high-waving red flag, if you ask me, is when he was in junior high school, he started exposing himself. Ah, they call it exhibitionism. Basically, you go, just how it is. You see those guys, those streakers with Doing, the just trench to, coats. To someone? Yeah, to females. Always the females. He would pull down his pants, and he would have, mm-hmm. his penis would be erect, and he would call their, you know, say, hey, look at this, and show it to them. This started happening in junior high, when he was going to huh. Newport High School, when he was a star football player. I'm surprised he, was he, well, he wasn't recognized. He was wasn't he? recognized until he was, because Newport was a small town. He eventually was recognized. Hmm. Did he go to jail for that? No, because he was a minor. And in fact, he didn't go to jail oh. for it. And in fact, nothing happened. The parents won't even claim it actually happened. The police still won't claim it actually happened. 
Who's claiming it happened? The woman? Or yeah, the, the victims it? claim it well, happened. It almost sounds like because he was such a big shot in this small town that people thought he was just pranking yeah, exactly. them or something. Not only the big shot, yeah, he's a big shot, but he is the only shot for Newport, Oregon to be known. I mean, they, they were hoping this guy would take this city to new heights. You know, this hmm. guy's going to be in the NFL. He's going to say he came from Newport, Oregon. Mm. You know, yeah. it's going to put our city on the map. The, everyone looked the other way. All right. So this is from the book. Through exhibitionism, he can not only demonstrate that he was a male, but also subconsciously get back at his mother, who seemed to demand perfection that he could not deliver. His mother was very hard on him, but not like any other killer we've We've not abusive. About. No. The mother was a a homemaker, housewife. Okay. Honestly, researching this guy's background, it just seemed like they were pressuring Randy to do well in sports. Like, I'm sure they thought that they felt like they had a lot riding on him too. Exactly. See, but but the thing about pressure in in psychological relationships with with other people is that it's it's all subjective like you can't you can't say he wasn't as badly abused as other killers necessarily because like his perception may have been some sort of psychological Mm. abuse yeah that's a good point yeah because i was just like comparing myself to him i was like all right everyone has pressures i understand you're the star football player but and then he has a lot riding on him because of that. And, and I'm not defending his actions. I'm just trying to get into his head. But, like, some people can't handle, handle that type of pressure. Some people can't handle, um, you know, having high expectations set for them. It, it depends on how you react to the situation, really. Yeah. That makes a difference. But somewhere in there, somewhere, I couldn't find it. If you guys can, you'd really help me out a lot. Somewhere in there in his childhood, he developed that negative view of women <laughs> which is crazy because he can get any woman he wants you know he can get crazy. any woman he wants but does he does he think that they expect him to be perfect like his mother did i don't know i guess now his mother did expect him to be perfect so i mean he did have a lot of pressure now randy he was reckoning all right i'm not really hurting anyone by being an exhibitionist i mean physically no until he started hurting people until we started hurting people. So that was kind of, you know, when he got caught, it's kind of his thing, you know, oh, it's not really hurting anyone. And sadly, and in the 80s, I just think that time period, people just thought he was a little weird to do that. I, now it'd probably be different. It's oh, like yeah. if, a, if a kid draws a gun, you know, we used to draw guns all the time, like in kindergarten and stuff, like shooting would draw guns. If a kid draws a gun now, it's like, oh my God, you know? That's true. Back then, like, that's all we would draw is like bad guys getting shot and stuff. You can't do that. A kid can't do that now. So, I mean, if I I would imagine today, if I, you know, if a kid started exposing himself that young, maybe people would be like, whoa, this guy needs some kind of treatment. It might. Because that is a problem. Well, it is. But we also know more now than we did then. Yeah. So they may see that as a warning sign for other, you know, disorders that 
you wouldn't have expected when you were younger. Yeah. Because even the DSM-5 is different than it was in the 80s. Yeah, what does it talk about? about, Does it talk about exhibitionism? Yeah, let me grab it. All right. There are two criteria. A, over a period of at least six months, recurrent and intense sexual arousal from the exposure of one's genitals to an unsuspecting person as manifested by fantasies, urges, or behaviors. As well as B, the individual has acted on these sexual urges with a non-consenting person or the sexual urges of fantasies cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. It generally happens more in males than females and the highest possible prevalence of this disorder is between 2 and 4%. 2% of males? Yes, 2 to Holy 4% shit. of males. That's a lot, isn't it? It's not It's like a really... hundred that's like two out of one hundred men. Wait, women don't do this. It women do. Really? It, yeah, it's far Holy less common. Holy shit. All of these statistics that I'm reading and what do they show their M five. Are they yeah. that's crazy. But you can also show your your second sex characteristics. Yeah. Which would be our breastuses. Tatas. Alright, so Titties. now like I said, many of the victims were confused about why Randy was doing this because they saw. So when you see in the movies, this guy is bald guy, bald kind of overweight guy in a trench coat, pull it open. Want to buy some watches? Yeah, <laughs> buy some watches. <laughs> he pulls open his trench coat. It's like ew. But they saw this tall, dark, and extremely handsome man. Expose himself. People were like, "What if if I met this guy anywhere else, I would have probably flirted with him and went on a date." Why the it just didn't oh, add you up? Would would you? Huh? No, I'm saying what the women would say. Like, why would he pull out his penis and show all these random women? There was something wrong. There's something in his psyche that is completely twisted around. Now his first. Adult arrest happened in Vancouver, Washington, August 7th, 1972. He was charged with indecent exposure and convicted and received a suspended sentence. Now, there's no record of them doing anything, even talking to a probation officer. Because I think during the 80s, I mean, he's not hurting anyone. Now... We would look at it and be like, all right, that's definitely a gateway action to something awful. But I guess back then it was like, oh, he's just someone showing his wiener. I just want to clarify, there, it, there's a difference between exhibition and exhibitionistic disorder. Like, I just want to make sure that we specify that it has to be recurring over a period of six months. Like, if you do it once, you don't have this disorder. I mean, you should probably go seek counseling and therapeutic services so that you don't continue to do it but you know in order to be diagnosed with this disorder you have to um you have to do it continually over a period of six months this from the book the i5 killer still randy woodfield the tall dark and handsome football star the christian athlete which we're going to get into in a second was playing russian roulette with his genitals there had to come a time when he was reported, when his speed at running from the scene was not swift enough. And that time did come. In Vancouver, Washington, August 7th, 1972, charged with indecent exposure and convicted, received a suspended sentence. 
There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Switching to Geico is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, Geico makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7, online, or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea. I hate to interrupt, but when you you remember that game show network when they had the Russian roulette game and the people like dropped to the floor? What? Anyway, I know what Russian roulette is. I was just making that reference. But when you said he had played Russian roulette with his genitals, it made me think of like sometimes he would have clothes on and then other times he'd be like, ah. I had a very, yeah, I was like, what are we talking about here? Russian roulette with his genitals. I mean, I know what you, you know meant. Russian roulette is? Yes. Yeah. What's that one? It's not Russian roulette. It's some other country, but Moscow in, mules. No, like Russian roulette. You take one bullet, bullet and spin the chamber. There's something I don't know what it's called. Roulette, something roulette, where you take a full chamber and then take one bullet out and then spin the chamber. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> That's that's terrible. a real thing, though. I know, but it's not funny. I know. Sorry, I laughed. All right. Let me talk about this Randy Woodfield, a.k.a. the devout Christian. You'll see this theme come up over and over and over again. Was he part of the family? No. In fact, the dad—I mean, they were religious, I guess, but the dad actually intervened at one point and was like, I think you're taking this whole religious thing overboard. You Mm. need to be careful. Mm. Now, this theme will— come in Randy's life over and over and over again. And you know what? It reminds me of Chris Watts. Did you guys know there's a whole subculture out there for Chris Watts? Like girls liking him or? Yes. Not even that. It's like all there's so many Facebook pages where they post nothing but Chris Watts pictures and stuff. What? It's really weird. Anyway, Chris Watts. Why do we, why do, we do that? Why do I don't we glorify know, people Chris like that? Watts. The latest news about him is he's a devout Christian and God has forgiven him. Remember, Piece he killed shit. his kids, his baby girls, and stuffed them down in oil tank. And his pregnant wife. And his pregnant wife. And God has forgiven him. So he could stick it up the ass. Literally make me sick. It makes me think of this story. In fact, at one point, Randy Woodfield, when he was in the middle of his crime sprees, said, you know what? God can take a back seat for a while. 
Wow. Yeah. Now, this devout Christian, Randy Woodfield, joins the Campus Crusade for Christ in Lake Tahoe, California. He moves there from Oregon. All right. Gets a janitorial job and dives really deep into the Christian faith, which there's nothing wrong with that. But this was right after his first arrest for indecent exposure. If you read the book and you kind of dive into Randy's background, you'll see that he knows he's got a problem that he cannot control. I really don't think he can control his sexual urges. And that's why he jumped into the Christian thing, because I literally think he was seeking God's help because he knew he had such an awful problem. You know what I'm saying? I'm not sticking up for him, but I don't think he wanted to go show his genitalia everywhere. I think it was just something urging him to do it, which is why he moved all the way to California to be in the Campus Crusade for Christ, because he knew he was he had a serious problem that he cannot control. Does that make sense? Yeah, but at what campus? Like, don't you have to be a student in? Oh, it's not like college. It's like a. It's not a college. It's like a camp or i guess it's like a camp really yeah because they have those at colleges and high schools that's like a club an extracurricular club. club yeah so i don't know he just moved to california and was studying the bible with these guys hmm. i mean good for him but that's weird to be part of an organization where it's traditionally reserved for students if he's not a student the campus crusade for christ in the summers in link tahoe estranged him somewhat from his father Jack Woodfield was concerned that Randy was plunging into religion with almost maniacal fervor. There were arguments between son and father that seemed to have no resolution. Had Jack Woodfield known of the struggles within his son, he might have welcomed anything that could divert Randy from the path that he was trending. So at that point when he would be devoted to Christ, he would only date Christian girls. Now, a lot of people thought he was a phony. He just, he's all of a sudden super religious. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. he, he was just exposing himself and sleeping with all these girls, and now he's, like, su- it's like Chris Watts. Like, now he's super religious in prison. He's changed. He's super religious. He found Christ. It's, like, phony. It's yeah. not real. You know? It's, he's trying to—he wants people to think he's a, a certain way, and he's not. People can tell. Yeah. You know? Disingenuine. Um, yeah. All right, let's talk about his hatred for women right quick. This is his girlfriend, Sharon, that actually dumped him. This may have been a catalyst of the future crimes. Mm. Can you read this, Nicole? He'd concluded finally that Sharon was treacherous, like most of the women he'd known in his life. She'd run tattling to her folks, and she'd make him look like a fool. That was the whole thing about females. They acted soft and pretty, but they demanded more than any man could be expected to give. He kept thinking if he could just talk to her, it would be all right. But it wasn't, and every time she told him to go away, he'd felt worse. I think his main problem is getting rejected. Even though he had so many girlfriends, if even if one of he them found— He can't fathom that somebody would reject him. Yeah, even if he had so many girlfriends, so he had so many girlfriends, and even if one found out about the other one and said, you know what, I'm done, he would feel so— rejected that she broke up with him. Was it rejection or was it like a control thing? I don't know. It was just eating inside of him. He did not, 
he thought women were not as good as men. But then again, he put them on a pedestal, which diminished his confidence. You know what I'm saying? In himself. He felt less of a man. Let's put it, let's be honest. And that's part of the reason why he always worked out and stuff. He wanted to appear like he was this man's man, mm. burly man. And then when it, that view didn't fit his world, like when a woman broke up with him because he's weird or whatever, it wouldn't fit with the image of himself that he saw himself. One of his rape victims said, you know, why did you do this to me? They were in the car. Now, she actually lived. Because all women are alike, he snorted. They only give you pussy when they want it. My girlfriend was a waitress and fooled around behind my back. She attracted a lot of men, and that made me jealous. I'm a very jealous guy. End quote. That was his own words. You're a something guy, that's for sure. So you guys got a sense of who Randy Randall Woodfield is? Mm -hmm. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. All right. Piece of shit. Piece of shit. But, as I said before, star athlete. The reason I gave you the Green Bay Packers hint is because he was drafted by the Green Bay Packers. Interesting. He actually played for the Green Bay Packers. Not in regular season. Now, I'm not a football expert, but on February 20th, 1974, he signed a contract for the Green Bay Packers. Now, if you go to talkmore.com, I'm putting all these pictures on there. He received room and board and traveling expenses and was part of the road training team. This is preseason. So basically they would travel and play pre-games. Yeah, and, and they were making cuts mm-hmm. and he survived all the cuts. But he didn't ultimately make the fifty three man roster. Exactly. I think, so he was yeah. probably on the practice squad then. Boom, yeah, Jen's got it. Basically he was eventually cut he was eventually cut from the traveling squad. But Randy Woodfield didn't make it with the Green Bay Packers. He was cut from the traveling squad. He would later say that they treated him more like a tackling dummy than anything else. His forte was in catching passes, and the Packers were, according to Randy, working with a preponderance of running plays. So he was someone's better. Yeah, he was eventually cut. Now he signed the contract. It was like sixteen thousand dollars for the year annually. Wow! And then, which was a lot back then. Plus, yeah, that is good money they were, for doing like fucking yeah, nothing. There were bonuses too. So if he caught like twenty five passes that season or whatever, he would get an extra two thousand dollar bonus. You know what? I didn't, didn't necessarily realize, but there's like when if you win games, they make more money and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. That. Mm-hmm. It's like they give incentives. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it makes sense, but at the same time, it's like, wow, I just thought, like, when you sign a million-dollar contract or whatever, that's what you get for the year. (laughs) But no, you can make more if you actually, per game. Yeah. Now, he was cut, and all the murders happened after he he got cut. Now, during this time, he (sighs) was still exposing himself to everyone. The Packers eventually found out he was showing his thing. Hoo-ha. Yeah, and they actually said, hey, you can't even keep it in your pants. Seriously. Okay, now, the Packers never commented to anyone, even Ann Rule, when she outreached mm-hmm. to them. And they still haven't said anything about this case. There is a really good article I'm linking on Talk Murder from Sports Illustrated that goes through the whole case. It, it goes through the whole Randy Woodfield case through the football perspective. So if you're really into sports, go to talkmurder.com. I'm putting that Sports Illustrated article. It's a long read, which is great. It has It's full of good stuff. I put a lot of the stuff from that. So, 
Um, this is him right here. I'm showing him pictures. You can go talk more to see the pictures. This is uh, his stats or whatever. Wide receiver, Portland State, timed at 4.7 in 40, cuts on a dime, has good hands and catches well in a crowd. Fluid and smooth, hustles, good jumper. That's Randy Woodfield for you. Him being cut was the thing that really pushed him over the edge. But he stayed close to the Packers, and he played, ironically, for for the Manitowoc Chiefs. Manitowoc County. There you go. Where? Stephen Avery. Stephen Avery. Making and a who, murderer. Someone, um, who was that that requested the Stephen Avery murder? Tony. Was it Tony? I think so. Yeah, I, I think it was Tony. One of the talkers pretty much requested it. I'm going to do that story for you, but there's like three books I want to read on that. Anyway. Um, You're going to read Ken Kratz's book? Oh, God. Oh, a little bitch. What a little squirrely. And you know who's who I hate more than Kenneth Kratz is that one dude, that the lawyer. Dweeb. That, that dweeb dude. That guy. Oh, the one who defended Brendan Dassey. Yeah. Yes. What was that guy's name? What a piece oh, of shit. I don't remember his name, oh, but ugh, what a wiener. Yeah, literally a wiener. Oh. I want to try Johnny's. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, they got good slaw dogs. Do they? You know what a slaw dog is? Coleslaw on a dog. Yeah, coleslaw on a dog. You know, well, get them. Scoogies is pretty good too. Scoogies is good. They're like yeah. Chicago style wieners. So not, I don't know. I have to try Johnny's to make a decision. Jax is good. It's just they're. They're not, the there's nothing special dog, about the, the hot, hot dogs. The hot dog itself was like you need like an all beef frank. I feel like, exactly you need something thick. Good. You know, the, it was just like what all you buy at the dog. Harris But you theater. know what I love, what? which I didn't have until I moved down here for the first time. What's what? that? Corn dogs. I don't like uh, corn dogs. I'm not a big fan. I love corn don't dogs. Don't like them. Uh, didn't like them before I moved. Now I love them. Don't like them. Yeah, I'm not a big corn fan dogs. of corn dogs. All right, so he was playing for the Manitowoc Chiefs. No, he had a regular job, obviously, because that's not going to pay him anything. The regular jobs for Randy, he eventually, he was working like at a brake factory. He eventually quit that and became a full-time bartender. And he loved that. You know why? Got to meet the ladies. Got to meet a lot of ladies. Friends would say he never had the same girl every night. It was always a different girl every night. Which, yeah, no I mean, wonder he had fucking yeah, herpes. Yeah, he had herpes. You know, I mean, he was sleeping with a lot of ladies. Now, after he got cut, beginning in 1975, the Portland police started getting a lot of reports that there was this man, tall, dark and handsome, jumping out of the bushes at knife point. At knife point, he had a paring knife. He was making these victims, these female victims, fillet him, which, you know, give him a blowjob because that is his sexual M.O. is blowjobs. Okay, he would make them fillet him, and then he would steal their purse, their money, or whatever. On March 5th, 1975, after Portland police kept getting all these calls about, I mean, there was a lot of victims all around this one park. They'd be walking, this man would jump out. Now, remember, he has herpes, too. So, Ooh, would he make them do it when he had a flare-up? I don't know if a flare-up, but, you know, Beth... uh, Beth, the one, the girl we talked about earlier from the Trans America building, she got herpes. So maybe, yeah. maybe he, I doubt he was taking any medicine or anything. I mean, who knows? who knows? So this is after he got cut. He was 25 years old. It was around March 1975. He kept jumping out, you know, hey, move over here into the bushes. You take this knife. He's like, get on your knees. And he would unzip his pants, suck it. 
and then they would suck him until he ejaculated, and then they would he would steal their purse. Fuck. This up. was in Dunaway Park. Eventually, the police they were like, "We got to catch this asshole. This guy's out of control, man." So they set up a sting, and on March 5th, 1975, they got one of the Portland police female officers. Now, this is very dangerous because, I mean, Randy, and I feel like if they would have known who he became after this, they would have thought twice about doing this operation. But the female officer walked through the park luring randy out now she was not dressed as a cop obviously she was in undercover undercover yeah and there were some fellow police officers standing by they were going to bust him and they did he actually jumps up on her with a knife and try as soon as he tries to assault her and stuff like that the cops rush in book him that was March 5th, 1975. He's 25 years old. April 29th, 1975, he's actually charged with first-degree robbery, but it was reduced to second degree. And all the oral sodomy charges from all the other victims were dropped, which is not a Why? good thing. I don't know. That's how it is. Makes no sense. Ra- Randy was a good talker. Randy could talk to a psychological evaluator and be like, you know what? I, I have a problem. But it's fine because I got Christ now oh, or I'm boy. doing this to help myself or, you know, wasn't my fault. It was something in my past, but here's how I'm doing better. And I'm doing better. I'm not going to be like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And he would convince these people, these psyche, you know, these psych evaluators and everything. He received 10 years, but he was out in five. Before he got out, a psych evaluator gave him this evaluation It would be my opinion that Mr. Woodfield's problem is so severe as to be a very serious threat to the community, and although treating him as an outpatient might actually present him with a greater opportunity to be treated, I think this would present too great a risk to the community. For the safety of the community, he needs to be in an institutional setting. However, the chances of being successfully treated in such a setting are rather dim. So basically, they went against that evaluation, let him out. Now, when he was in prison the entire time, his main complaint would be, these female guards, this is bullshit. They can watch me take a piss. He didn't think females should be in control of him. He's having female guards tell him what to do. He's got a very negative view on females. I'm letting you know that right now. I don't know if I'm doing a good job explaining that. This is what he says. This is one of his quotes. If you want to read this, Nicole... I've come to the point where I'm beginning to accept myself and to stop being a phony, he told the staff psychologist. I know I have a problem and I want to keep on top of it all times. I've learned to accept rejection from others, especially females. I don't take it personally anymore. It's taken me 27 years to grow up, but I'm making it now. I have excellent family support. I used to be too ashamed to admit that I had a problem. I found out that in Reverend Beach's group that the other guys have problems, and if they can overcome them, I can do it too. I'm not the same immature fellow that I used to be. I used to just want to play football and have fun, but now I know that work is important. I've got to stop running and face myself for what I am. I now have the courage and confidence to meet my problems directly. I no longer feel a need to hide from them. Yeah, so you see what I'm saying? He could really talk to people to get them to believe him. He's manipulating them. Yeah. All right, let's talk about when he got out. His first robbery. So it always starts as robberies. 
you know, so he's in a decent, he's an exposer, exhibitionism. He gets cut from the Packers. I mean, that, his whole life is gone. Now he's getting older. He's got his else chances to do. are getting slimmer and slimmer. He's a bartender. Okay. He has nothing else. When he took an IQ test for the prison, they scored him a little less than 100. He's below average. Below average. He really has nothing going for him besides he's tall, dark, and handsome, and he can get any woman he wants. But he did have— Sounds like the tomato killer. He could— (laughs) Jesus Christ. That's a throwback. (laughs) Damn. That was episode three. (laughs) Anyway, he could have changed his life, you know? Because, I mean, he's got a strong will. There was one girl that followed him— and he was going to marry and everything. She came from a wealthy family, and he could have turned his life around and became something great, but, you know, he didn't. So the first robbery, because he needs money, he's out of the joint, December 9th, 1980. Okay, it was a little service station. Here we have the, the man wearing a hoodie, tall, dark, you know, kind of dark complexion, band-aid over his nose, came into the service station, robbed it. There was a lot of robberies. I'm talking about every night, up and down the I-5, from Oregon to California. The fourth robbery is when he wanted more than just the money. It was four days before Christmas, okay? This is in 1980. The church is fried chicken. The woman, or the girl, the teenage teenage girl that was manning the station, if you will, wanted to go home all day. She was feeling sick. She was had stomach problems or whatever. She actually called her parents to come get her. She was actually in the bathroom at the time washing her face, you know, putting that cold water on your face. I'm feeling all, oh, I feel like shit. I just got to get out of this place. A man knocks on the door or somebody knocks on the door. You know, I'm, hold on. The door pushes open and the man walks in. It's him, Randy Woodfield. She's like... I'm in here. He just pushes right through, locks the door. This is what he says. Do what I say and you won't get hurt. I want you to beat me off. And she says, I don't know how. I mean, she's a teenager. Mm. She's a teenager, you know. I'll show you how. And then he moved the gun closer to her head. Oh, my goodness. He eventually came on her breast. Now, she's never had sex before. She did not even know how to do that. Okay. Now you stay in here for five minutes. Count to a hundred. Well, first he says, that was good. Now you stay in here for five minutes. Count to a hundred and nobody will get hurt. I mean, there were, this was like business hours. Mm. This happened like this, there were cooks in there. Oh. And this happened in the bathroom. She was scared as shit, but she did what she was told. Waited to a hundred, counted to a hundred, then came out screaming. He's long gone. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Randy Woodfield and one of these murders I'm going to tell you about, a police officer driving to the scene saw a man that fit his description huh. about 10 blocks away. But at the time, he was like, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, this guy's 10 or more than 10 blocks away, like 10 or 20 blocks away. Right. There's no way you could get there this quick. But you're talking about a wide receiver that was drafted by the Green Bay Packers. He could get places if he wanted. He was fast as a motherfucker. Yeah, he he ran a 4-7. Exactly. There ain't no question about that. 
So count to 100, he is long gone. Yeah, for sure. You know? And that happens in all the cases. He would Mm. be in and out. And by the time the cops get there, he was nowhere in sight, man. I'm talking about, like, he would be miles away. I mean, and he would always wear running shoes. He would sprint. Huh. Yeah, all right. Now, the fry cook says, I can't believe it. That guy was in here. He ordered a number five dinner and paid for it. He must have seen Kim walk back to the restroom. He was wearing a hooded brown corduroy and suede jacket with a sheepskin lining. 20 minutes later. I'm going to take you guys for a ride. 20 minutes later. After the church, I mean, you eat a nice number five dinner church. I don't know what that is. Like maybe two wings and some fries. I don't know. I've never had churches. Same. You want some church's chicken? Mmm, mmm, that's good. Get that spicy chicken. Ooh-wee. Is it good? I mean. I never had it either, to be honest. Oh. But it seems good. I was thinking like Bojangles. Mm. I'd imagine Bojangles. It's probably like the same. Yeah. I really want some fried chicken now. Yeah, I do too. You eat some fried chicken, man, that hit the spot. But you know what? I need a little bit of ice cream after that. 20 minutes after you eat that chicken, you're going to want some ice cream. So where are you going to go? You can go to Baskin Robbins. And that's where he went. 20 minutes later, he's at Baskin Robbins in Bothell, Washington. Bothell, Washington. He robbed it January 8th, 1980. 20 minutes later. He wastes no time at all. When the cops have passed him going to churches, he's robbing Baskin Robbins. He's obviously telling these cops to fuck off. That was January 8th, 1980. Let me talk about the first time he became violent. Now, you're seeing a criminal starting from junior high school, a football star showing his ding-dong to women in public, gets arrested, okay? Then he starts to, what, rob people in the park and making them fillet him, serves time. Now he's out. He starts robbing. And now, it's like he's climbing. He's he's going up the escalator. Mm. It ain't getting better. It's not like, oh, you know, that was a little too much. Maybe I just should stick to just robbing people. No, he's he's going for the gold, okay? You can see his evolution here. January 11th, what, three days later? The first violence grocery cart market in Eugene, Oregon. 24 hours later, he was... 50 miles away down the I-5. Central Market is in Sutherland, Oregon. Susie Bennett. He comes in his little gas station. Give me the money from the till. Sure. She, she was thought she was, he was fucking joking. This tall, dark, handsome guy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> this is a real gun. You know, points his eyes down where, so her eyes will follow his eyes down to the gun. Sees that silver revolver. This is a real gun. Now get on the floor and stay there. She says, no, I'll give you the money. Just stay on the floor. He grabbed her blouse, and I don't think he meant to, but the gun shot. It didn't kill her. It went right through her right shoulder. She lived. But a few inches lower, it would have hit her lung, and she would have died. Now, this is important because this is the first time the actual car was mentioned. Now, he would park blocks away, but... Someone actually seen a car. And guess what kind of car it was? VW Bug. There you go. It was a champagne-colored <laughs> ah. VW Volkswagen uh, Bug. Interesting. Dented in the front, yeah. I think it was the exact same color as Bundy's, right? Yeah, it sounds yeah. like His was white, I think. Oh, okay. No, I thought it was beige. Yeah. 
guys, around this time, the police is starting to say, whoa, whoa, there's a connection here. These are all happening down the I-5. We got to catch this guy or it's going to, because he can see it escalating. Yeah, it, it, it's a pattern that's escalating for mm. him. All right. So let me talk about the MO a little bit. With robberies, always the same. Little service stations, little fast food joints, Band-Aid over the nose. Usually he would make them go into the bathroom. Sometimes he likes two of the cashiers at the same time, all females. Make them fillet him. Now, he was his sexual MO was only oral sex. Not only, but that's what he loved. He loved that. And Clearly. that just goes in with his how thinking how degrading women are mm. to make them do that. You know what I'm saying? Yep. With murder, his MO, always execution style. Back of the head, shot a few inches away from the skull. It's interesting because that is such an impersonal thing versus what he's forcing them to do is so personal. Yeah. I'm putting some pictures on talkmore.com if you guys want to see. This is the lineup with uh, Randy. T- tell me which one you think he is. He is the f- number five. Number five, yeah. So a lot of victims, including including Beth, they could pick him out from one quality, which I can't really do justice, but his voice. And a mm. very distinct voice. Interesting. Very dark, very calm voice. Uh, let me talk about one more murder. This happened in Lake Shasta, California. He was caught relatively quick after doing these murders and stuff like that. Because Beth. Beth was, yeah, she was a huge factor because she was the only one that could identify him beside all the robbery things, the robbery victims and stuff like that. But they know that, and they found his pubic hair at the trans, uh, one pubic hair at the Trans America building. Did they know that the guy doing the break-ins was the same guy that was doing the murder? Yeah, they figured it out. Okay, they made that connection. Yeah, so they did make that connection. In fact, it was um, once the news got a hold of the I five killer, a lot of people were just scared to even go to work, especially if you live right by the I five. You worked in a little gas station, you were like terrified because you don't know where he's going to be next. Oregon. California, I mean, where, and this guy could strike anywhere. And he was doing it every night. Yeah, he was literally every night. Um, it was Tuesday evening, February 3rd. Now, this is probably the worst call to get. You're a firefighter, okay? You leave your wife and kids at home, and you have to respond to emergency at your own home. I can only oh, imagine. Yeah. yeah. Donna Lee, 37 years old, and her stepdaughter, Janelle Jarvis, a 14-year-old, Tuesday evening, February 3rd. Now, this is in a house off the I-5, obviously. Now, the 12-year-old stepdaughter, Kristen Jarvis, was away. Thank God she's actually the one that walked in and found her mother and her 14-year-old sister in the state they were in. Steve Eckerd was the one to respond to the call. Now, he was the firefighter, Redding, California firefighter, Here's what the stepdaughter that wasn't home, the 12-year-old, walked into when she came back home that evening. He had been there. They lay side by side on the bed. Donna Lee lay on her back, and she wore only a nightgown that had been pulled down, exposing her breasts. Her glasses were still in place, but her ankles were crossed and bound with a white surgical tape. 
Her arms had been twisted beneath her, and her wrists were bound in the same tape. A wide swath of tape covered her mouth and nose. Fourteen-year-old Janelle was completely nude, her face covered with blood. So let's talk about the sentencing of Mr. Randall Woodfield. This is from the Spokane Chronicle, March 9th, 1981. I-5 killing count filed. Former Portland State University football star Randall Woodfield was charged today with the murder of a Salem woman that had been attributed to the wide-ranging I-5 bandit. His crime spree ended when he was 30 years old. Woodfield would be taken to Salem where charges of murder, attempted murder, and sodomy have been filed. Marion County District Attorney Chris Van Dyke in Salem had said earlier he was considering charging Woodfield with the murder of Sherry Hall, 19. She was killed and another one injured where they were assaulted January 18th while cleaning an insurance office in Salem, suburb of Kaiser. They felt that was the case to go on at this point, Riley told reporters. He declined to comment whether Woodfield was linked to another two dozen crimes believed to have committed by the I-5 bandit. Thanks, Nicole. A little fun fact about this article where it says uh, Marion County District Attorney Chris Van Dyke. If that name sounds familiar, that is the son of Dick Van Dyke. Oh, whoa. Yeah. So he actually. That's cool. Yeah. So this was his first murder case. In fact, Chris Van Dyke went completely opposite of his father, you know, father, the actor, and went into law enforcement and the legal system. He was 28 or 29, I believe, when he ran for district attorney. And it was kind of a gamble because he's so young, but he won. Hmm. So this was his first murder case. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure so it helped, his name helped. Oh, uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. Yeah, but he, I mean, he did move away from California. But then again, everyone knows who Dick, Dick Van, Van Dyke, Dyke is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm sure his name did help, but I'm sure he had a, a pretty, but, I mean, uh, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit. It, uh, I don't. I didn't mean it in like an insulting way, but it's no. I'm sure it helped. I mean, name it, recognition. Dick Van Dyke. That was a huge name back in the day. I mean, we we don't we wouldn't we wouldn't know. I used to love the Dick Van Dyke show. Yeah, but yeah, that's his son. Pretty cool, isn't it? Hmm. And they talk about that in the Anna Rule book, I Five Killer. It was really difficult to actually convict him because the evidence was literally nothing. I mean, DNA testing wasn't like it is today. So, yeah, they had semen, but they can only broadly match it to him. The evidence that they did have, the attorney for Woodfield wanted it completely thrown out. This guy has been robbing and sodomizing and murdering people all up and down the I-5. And I can't even explain to you how close it came for him completely walking free. When the detectives went for the charges and tried to convict them, they knew it was risky. They actually held him for the first time after he destroyed evidence in his own home. I didn't talk about that, but he, like the fake beard he was wearing and... Oh, yeah, he burned it, right? Yeah, all that stuff. He burned all that stuff. So there's really no evidence, okay? There was only Beth that could identify him and some other victims that could identify his voice. Right. So this is from the Albany Democrat Herald, November 3rd, 1981. The title says Woodfield wants evidence ruled out. This is in Corvallis. The defense of Randall Woodfield asked today that the evidence connected with a police lineup be suppressed. Now, I had that police lineup on talkmonitor.com for you guys. 
Uh, He's number five. During the hearing, three victims of crimes attributed to the so-called I-5 bandit were brought into court and identified Woodfield as their assailant. The three included two women who were accosted at an Albany laundromat and one who was assaulted at a Corvallis fabric store. Deputy DA Kenneth Osher opposed the motion to suppress the evidence. He said that the case would hinge on identification of the defendant in the lineup. Do you hear that last line? That this case would hinge on the identification of the defendant Hmm. in the lineup. That was the only thing they have. That's why there was such a gamble to arrest. They actually arrested him for a parole violation. He actually moved from his where he was supposed to be in Mm -hmm. Oregon to another city. And he didn't tell his parole officer. That is what they arrested him on. They didn't arrest him on any of the sodomies, robberies, or murders. Wow. They arrested, and that was a short time, that was a short term play because you can't keep someone locked up for such a bullshit charge. Right. And then the whole case hinged on the lineup, which, you know, it worked. Luckily, I'm telling you, Beth is the one that really came through and put this guy away. He would still be out there. Wow. Well, actually, he wouldn't be out there because I'll show you an article in a second. Let me see. Woodfield was sentenced October 12th in Marion County Circuit Court to life in prison plus 90 years after a jury convicted him June 26th of murder, attempted murder, and sodomy stemming from a January 18th attack on two women in the Salem area. Now, he had multiple charges, and the judge demanded them all to be served consecutively. So that's why he's facing life in prison plus 90 years. He ain't getting out. He's still there. He's going to die there. And he's still living. Good. He's going to die in prison. We don't have to worry about some parole or anything like we do with... In Canada. Like Carla Homolka. He's in prison for life. One other interesting article that I found, I want to read it right quick. This is from 2012 from Oregon Live. Portland detectives definitively, ooh, I said that right the first time, link I-5 killer Randy Woodfield to five more deaths. I'm putting this article on Talk Murder for you guys. Advances in forensic science allow police to say publicly today what they've believed in their hearts for decades. It's him. Randy Woodfield, the former football star, later exposed as a rapist, robber, and serial killer, has been definitively linked to five more murders, three in the Portland area and two in California's Shasta County. That's where the uh, firefighter's wife and stepdaughter were murdered in Shasta County. Now, this article is from May 11, 2012. He ain't going nowhere, and they continue to link him to murders. But that also shows that he didn't really brag about any murders. I I guess he's still maintaining his innocence. Well, um, it's amazing how much they're able to find out now from the forensic evidence, and I'm glad that he has no chance of getting out. He's still getting caught with murders. So any questions about Randy Woodfield? Now, is this the one that you were saying falls in love with somebody? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So next Tuesday... The episode is going to be his prison lover. So it's a female. She was caught. Did they, were they, was it a co-ed prison? No, it wasn't a co-ed prison. They fell in love through letters. Through the toilets. 
<laughs> they're the toys. They both know each other because they're both infamous. But they both started writing to each other, and he actually proposed to her. Hmm. We're going to be reading that, but that's going to be on Tuesday's episode. Yeah, so if you guys know who that is, please, um, hmm. please let us know. Please guess and send it to me. I'll read it on the show. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you really like this episode, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our stalker, go to talkmer.com slash join. Become a Talkers Primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love shouted out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate it to you on the Talk Murder to Me podcast. My name is John. Here with Jen and Nicole. And until next time, hut, hut, hike. Oh, I'm sorry, Jen. Do you want to take this over tonight? You want to cut and spend hours and 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 hours cutting out all y'all's ums and ums? Yeah, it's called the unknown, so question mark. Yeah, it's the symbol. Which is probably going to make sense once we leave there really drunk, unknown, where we're at. Anyway, look at my hair on my foot. No. You have Grinch feet? No, yeah. it's weird. I never noticed you hair have on my feet? feet before. It's a thing. Like, <laughs> Let me see your feet, Jen. <laughs> well, I don't have hair on my feet. I shave my toes. So that... Because, once again, like people always expect women to shave their legs and their feet and look not like... What? I thought y'all didn't even grow hair there. We do. Well, some people do. a little bit of hair. Yeah. See? It's, it's but it looks normal because I shaved small. it off. It's small, but you might be able to see a little bit. I do not understand the women body. Clearly, clearly. I thought y'all were just supposed to be naturally, perfect. naturally hairless. Well, we are, so don't well, get that twisted. Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, we're all perfect, Jen. We're perfect, flawless beings. <sighs> I just genuinely <laughs> sound confused because I am confused ninety percent of the time. Founders Brewing Company has found a way to make an IPA you can enjoy anytime that's perfect for any occasion with their all-day IPA. At 4.7 ABV, you can still taste the hops, of course, but it's the complex array of malts and grains that make all-day IPA a beer that will grab your attention. That full flavor and low ABV is what continues to make it a staple in my fridge. Look for Founders in your favorite beer store or check out their full line of beer at foundersbrewing.com. Founders Brewing Company, born and brewed in Michigan since 1997. There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal.